How does the world evaluate you? How does it value people? The standard of the world is your outer beauty, it's your wealth, maybe even your accomplishments. And sometimes we find ourselves comparing ourselves to others, don't we? We think about ourselves. I was reading about a study that they did about men and women and how they think and about these areas. And one of the things they found that 13% of the women felt that they were pretty, whereas only, and whereas 28% of the men thought they were pretty handsome. And when it came to change, 94% of the men said they needed to change their looks. Whereas women, 99% said that they needed to do something to change their looks. The question comes to us today in this text, how does God view you? How does he see you in your life? You know, the Bible says that God chooses us. And he chooses us from not the brightest, not the most wise. But in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, he chooses the things that are not so bright, not so talented, so that he can raise us up. And that we become made in his image. And that we are children of God. And that he does a wonderful work within us. So that his glory can shine forth and his love can be seen. In the last two weeks, we've been talking about Peter. And we've seen Peter talking to a group of churches that the Romans were persecuting. Now, the reason why they were persecuting was because we know that Nero was burning down Rome in order to build a beautiful city for himself that everybody would look at and give him praise and glory and honor. But because he was doing it secretly, people got wind of it and they thought they were becoming unhappy with him. And so what he needed was a scapegoat and he found them. They were called Christians. And what happened was he used them as the scapegoats and began to persecute Christians and say that they were burning and they were insurrectionists and they were doing things. And so all kinds of bad things happened to Christians. They were persecuted. They were burned at the stake. They were dragged behind chariots. All these things were taking place because he had said that and made that edict. And what we find Peter here is telling people, Christians, how to survive in that. How to remain faithful to their Lord in the midst of such great persecution. And what he does is he gives them this beautiful thing in the first, couple, this first chapter about how God elected them and called them, and that by the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he saves them through the blood of Christ and sanctifies them through the Holy Spirit. And how he's given us this wonderful inheritance that never can be taken away from us, that can never be faded away, that can never, and this wonderful living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how we have eternity. And that he, then he talks about how, yes, we will have persecution. And he says, it's going to be like a gold fire that a smelter will take and pour the gold in this pot and turn up the heat and cause all the impurities to go to the top so they can make pure gold. And then at the end of it, the 
guy who had the fire or the kiln would look his face into that gold. And when he saw his face clearly, then he would stop the work. And what we see here is that's what God, Peter's saying to them. That God is, does in our lives. He brings crisis. He brings trials and tribulation into our lives so that he can get the impurities out of our lives. And that we can face and face him and get cleaned up. But then that his face is seen in us. And that the sanctification process has taken place. And then he showed them how blessed they were. Because he said, not only do you have this inheritance that will never fade away. That will never be taken away from you. But that you have something that people for ages have longed for. The prophets foretold. In fact, there were 333 major prophecies and over a thousand minor prophecies about all that was going to take place. And the prophets sometimes were speaking things that they didn't even know they were saying that were prophetic. And he says, you are the inheritors of that. You know these things because the gospel was preached to you. And that not only you, but the angels did not know how great it was going to be the salvation for you. And they for centuries looked and tried to see what God was doing and how he was going to do it. And they saw when Christ came to earth and how he died on the cross. They longed for centuries to see that. And now you have this in your hand. And you've experienced it. And he says how wonderful, blessed we have been. Even though for a little while we're going to have some trials we're going to be accused and abused. He says, you're going to be all right. Because look at what you have in Jesus Christ. And now he continues on with him helping us. Helping us when times will be different. Times will change. When persecutions will come. How do we handle that? And he says, therefore. And he gives us the words. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in the spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And the words he really uses in the Greek, it's not prepare your minds, and that's a newer translation, but he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now you're saying, Dave, gird up the loins of your mind. What are you talking about here? Well, what he's talking about in those days, men used to wear robes. And when they were doing their work, they would take up, or when they were going to fight in a battle, they would pick up their robes and they tuck them in the belt so they were ready for action and they wouldn't trip over their robes. It's like when I do a wedding here. We usually stand here and the bride and the groom are down there. And on Friday night, they just walk right up. They either have slacks on or have a shirt, skirt on and everything's fine. But I say to them, girls, just remind yourselves that when you've got that gown on tomorrow, make sure you pick it up. Because otherwise, you may do a face plant on your wedding day. You may trip over that gown. It's the same thing that happens with me. Maybe some of you have seen me. I've almost done face plants when I do the, the communion supper, when I wear my long rope. Because it's very easy to get caught when you're making a step into that gown. Well, here, Peter's saying that to the men. 
He's saying you've got to gird your mind up and prepare for action. So don't you wind up tripping over yourself when you're in the battle. Because when you're in the battle, it's very easy to get yourself caught on your robe and do a face plant. And it can be very disastrous. Don't let it take you down and don't let it bring you to the point where you do a face plant. And he says, you've got to gird up this mind of yours. How many of us, it's so easy to become lazy and fat in our minds and in our thinking. How easy it is to fall into certain thinking that we can get distracted by it. How many of you have ever find yourself getting distracted by your anger? Or maybe you've been distracted by bitterness or impatience or lust or greed or any other sin that distracts you from doing what you should be doing. He says, gird up your loins. Be prepared. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, you will give an answer. And he's talking in the future's tense. He said, you'll give an answer for the work that you've done. Even as a Christian, you and I will know that we will give an answer to God for how we have acted on this earth. And we'll be rewarded or not rewarded. For the, for the Christian, that is, we'll be rewarded or not rewarded. That's what our judgment will be. It's not for heaven or hell. It will be for what we are rewarded in heaven for. And that's why he says, gird up your line. Put your thoughts together. Be disciplined in your thinking. And be in control of that mind of yours. And put on the belt of truth so you can discern what is going on in your lives. You're going to be strong in your, this day. We are living in a society today that has immense moral confusion. I see it even with my children, my adult children. And we need to gird up our minds. And the other day I was speaking with a couple. And uh, he's a Catholic fellow. And we were talking about because I have some friends that live out in Coleridge and Andover. And they're very upset with the Pope. In fact, many of them have gone to their priests and asked questions. And that's what he did. And they said, how come this Pope is so liberal and he's taken some of the things that the church has stood for and that the Bible stood for and now is no longer for real? And the priest said, well, he's trying to be more relevant. More relevant? Billy Graham once said, you know what happened in our society? Morality became the old immorality. And that's what has taken place. And you can be relevant, but you don't change the will of God. When God says, thus saith the Lord, and it's a commandment, it doesn't change. And what has happened is that this Pope has done some changing. We see it even in the Protestant church too. There's a new group of Christians call themselves the progressive Christianity. They don't believe the word of God is forever. It's the inspired word of God. They think that we have progressed now in our thinking that we've gotten so bright in our age in this technological age, that progressive Christians think there's not everything they have to listen to about the Bible because it's dated. And that, that might have been good for that day and age, but not in our day and age. Let me tell you something. <laughs> that is not true. And what they are doing is they're promoting a Christianity that if it feels good, do it. Something that we were familiar with back in the 70s. And that progressive Christianity is going to fall flat. And the sad part for me is that they are leading young men and women 
away from God's truth that they will have to stand and give an account for, for what they do in their life and for walking away from the faith. That's why Peter says, gird up your loins of your minds. Be ready for this kind of stuff. Keep sober in the spirit, he says. And what he's talking about is that you've got to be on your toes. The illusionist Houdini, one of the things that happened with him, he used to be pride himself in being so much in shape and that he would take a punch from any man in his gut. And he would do it. And one day he was caught off guard. And a guy punched him and it ruptured his, his um, uh, ribs. And it ruptured also, too, um, his appendix. And little did he know, but he was dying inside. And he died three days later. Because his appendix had been hurt. And it wound up bleeding and dying. And they didn't catch it in time. You see, that's why Paul, I mean, Peter says, keep sober in the spirit. And what he's talking about is don't let yourself become like you're drunk. I mean, how many times have you seen it where people lose their inhibitions when they're drunk? I know guys that used to go to the bar and try to get girls drunk so that they lose their inhibitions. And this is what he's saying. Don't lose your sight. Stay sober and realize what's going on around you in your world. And resist the temptations. You know one of the great theological words we need today is no. And we don't want to be negative people. But there are things that the Bible says that are no's and we should be knowing. And instead people are saying, well that's not too bad. Just God will forgive you. No, that's not the way it goes. If it feels good, do it. No, that's not the way it goes. The Bible here tells us to be sober. Thinking clearly. And looking at what happens around us so that when we're brought to the revelation of Jesus Christ when Christ we stand before Christ at the end of our life we can give a good account of our lives and we can hear that well done thou good and faithful servant the word there be sober means wineless it means free from those clouding influences that affect us think about the clouding influences that we are bombarded with every day think about the TV shows that we watch Think about the advertisements. I couldn't believe it yesterday. We were watching a show and there were three or four advertisements that were values that would just went totally against what we believe. Think about the places you go. Think about some of the relationships you have of people who are by your side that maybe are trying to pull you away from what is right and true. Relationships. Maybe some of the habits that we have. Some of the songs that we listen to. Some of the people who are around us that can easily drag us down. That's why we've got to be sober and on our toes about how these things are affecting us. And that our goal is to please the Lord. That our goal is Him and Him alone in what we do. It says, set yourself fully on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed. Keep your eyes on the mark. Set what do you feel Jesus wants you to live and how he wants you to live. It's so easy to get distracted from the things that are good and wholesome in your life and in mine. And bring us away from what is true and honorable and that God wants for us to abundantly share. 
back at the Olympics in Athens, American Matt Edmonds was one shot away from being a gold medal winner in the three position 50 meter rifle competition. And as he set up, and it was going to be an easy one because he didn't even have to hit the target in the center. He just needed to get near the center. And he pulled the trigger and he shot and he got a bullseye right in the target. And he thought for sure he had won the Olympics. <laughs> the only thing was he got distracted. And instead of shooting the target in lane three, he hit the target in lane two. And the judges gave him no points because he hit the wrong target. And he went from gold medal to eighth place because he got distracted and he focused on the wrong target. And that's what happens with a lot of people. We've seen, I've seen wonderful, brilliant people, successful people, but they've gotten lost and they lost their target and they aimed at the wrong target and they've lost their souls. They give themselves over and found themselves not being what they should be because they got distracted. And the Bible here says to us, Jesus knows how we are and that there will be a come a time when we're going to be an accountable for what we have done. Some of you have played football. My worst night during the season was Monday night. Just hated that night. Saturday you played the game. Sunday you're told to just go out on your own, do a little jogging, work out all the problems. And then Monday we have a real light practice. Jog around the field. And then, after practice, we'd shower and then we'd meet up in the room. The offense would go to one room, the defense would go to the other room. And the coach had this 16 millimeter projector. One in one room and one in the other. Two reels of film. They'd get the first half, we'd get the second half. They'd load that baby up, and he had the special gadget hooked to the projector that you just push the button down, and it would back it up. And he'd get the projector going, and then, oh, let's look at that play. Henyon, let's see, how'd you do on that? Back it up. Let's see if you make the block this time. Oh, no, you missed him. Let's try that one more time. And back it up again. What were you supposed to do? Well, coach, I don't want to hear it. Did you miss the block? Well, yeah. Okay, well, let's see if we can do it this one more time, see if we can get it to work. Couldn't stand that time. In fact, on Saturdays, I'd be thinking, oh, boy, that's going to become like the big play 
on, on, on Monday night football. And I'm going to be the star because I missed what I was supposed to do. Folks, people don't realize that as Christians, we will have to stand and listen and face that. And whether we're going to get rewarded or not, because he will reveal that in the last time. And notice what he says, that we're to be rather obedient children, not conformed to the lust of our flesh, that we do in ignorance and sin. Basically, our sinful nature comes in ignorance. We do these things because we're ignorant of the truth of God and the beauty of God. And we fall into sinful patterns. And he tells us that. And that's old way of life. And we have a decision to make. I had a guy the other day admit to me that he was going to a certain place at his office during the lunch hour because there was this new girl there and she was beautiful. And here he is a married man. And he admitted that he's got to quit that. And he has. And that's what the writer here says. Peter says... You know, now that you have this hope in Jesus that doesn't fade away, you've got this tremendous hope and all these wonderful things happening. you. Give it up. You don't have to do those former things to be happy anymore. But like the Holy One, he says, be holy, set apart. Be totally different than the world. Don't follow those patterns. Be holy because I am holy. Be holy because you're obedient to me and my word. And there's great joy awaiting you and great reward for you. And be holy because that shows that you really have the character of Christ inside you. Be holy in your conduct. Be holy and not conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your, the word. That holiness comes with respect to God. That you know that when you follow God's way, there's much more joy and happiness than what the world seeks is just happiness. Holiness brings us to joy and happiness. Happiness brings us to disappointment. And it ends. And sometimes it's easy in the world to not respect God. And it's very easy for us to lose the awe of God. And that's why he calls us again to be holy in our inner nature. As Christ is formed in us, we should have a totally different outlook. He's not calling us to be nerds. He's calling us to be true, loving, full of life people who love what God has provided for us. And want to experience the full abundance that God has given to us. And our world doesn't understand that. You know, I was reading th something that was very disheartening to me. It's about the Rolling Stones. I like to play their music. And talked about how Keith Richards, they had a concert and it was canceled due to rain. And Richards was asked about what he believed and whether he believed in the devil. He says, ah, the devil doesn't bother me. It's God who ticks me off. He said, given us this rain, this is ridiculous. You can wait until I get up there to see the big guy, he said. And then he said, 
He said, doesn't he know who we are? We're the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Is he kidding me? I pray for him to get it right before he leaves this earth because he's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> he thinks he's going to stand toe-to-toe with God. Is he kidding himself? Yes, he is. He's a fool. That guy doesn't have much fear of God, but he will. That attitude will change when he stands before him. And he won't have much to say. In fact, it won't be that quick, very quick. Rather than living in that ignorance, we need to help our friends see that Mr. Richards doesn't have it right at all. He needs to have the awe of the Heavenly Father who makes us holy, who judges impartially. And we need to respect and love and honor him and to realize what he's done for us. Now, Peter has already come on and told the children what God has done for them and why they should be even dealing with their crises and disappointments that they will have such great joy in eternity. And why they can have joy even in the midst of suffering. He now speaks to them again. About God's love. The same love that he has for us. And he talks. About this love. He says. If you address the father. The one who impartially judges according to each one's works. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but the precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he appeared in these last days for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now what Peter is saying here, he's saying to us, look at how much God loves you. Moody looked up the references to God and just was blown away how much God, it says in the Bible, loves you. And how precious you are to him. You see, human love is objective. It's discriminative. It's temporary. It's here today and gone tomorrow. God's love is oriented to you eternally from his own nature. And is indiscriminate and loves you from now and to through eternity. And it's all because of his love to you. He loves you with that undying love that went to the cross and prayed the most valuable thing in all of eternity, which was his own blood. That's how precious you are. To him. A woman was in Europe on a trip. And she was going through these marketplaces where they were selling all these trinkets and jewelry. 
And she picked up a piece of jewelry. She said, oh, that's cute. And she bought it for very $2. And when she was leaving Europe to come back to America, she was stopped and told the duty that she had to pay on this little item of jewelry was thousands of dollars. She couldn't understand it. And she didn't want to pay it. And so she went to a jeweler in the airport and they looked at it and they put their little glass to it and as they looked at it, said, He's, I'll give you $25,000 for that piece of jewelry. piece of junk that she found. She's going to give it to her granddaughter. She went to another jeweler and the other jeweler said, I'll give you 35. Couldn't understand it and finally she said, what, what is it with this thing? He said, look at this and he gave him his little spectacle and in there it was written, from Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. It wasn't the value wasn't in the stones. The value was in who gave it the value. And that's Napoleon. Napoleon had given that to Josephine. And it's the same thing with us. Our value comes from what God has placed on us. And that value for your soul and mine was the infinite value of his blood on the cross to save you, to save me. That's how valuable you are to our God. And you will find people in this life who don't feel like they've got value. They may have everything in the world, but they feel aimless. Think about Elvis Presley who a year before he died, he wrote, Are You Lonely Tonight? And guess what that song did? That was his final, one of his final songs. And do you know why? <laughs> because he died in his loneliness of drugs and alcohol. Not with Christ. George Clooney... Celebrity got millions of dollars, fame and fortune. And one night he took cocaine and he said afterwards, I hated it, but I was so lonely. You see, because they're finding out what Solomon found out thousands of years earlier, vanity of vanity, all is vanity without God. You can have the best of everything, but not have God and you're empty of and you have nothing. And you can't get it by human achievement like religions try to teach us, but rather only through Christ, who's a divine accomplishment on the cross with his blood that bought us and gave us value. That's what it was. That's what Jesus has done for us. And you're valuable because that's what that love paid for you and for me. That blood was a reminder for the individual way back in the Old Testament 
that a lamb was slain as a future reminder what Christ was going to done. And then in Egypt, that lamb was slain and the blood was put over the doorpost to save a family. That was a reminder of what Christ was going to do. And then the system of sacrifice in the Old Testament was set up to remind Israel once a year, the Day of the Atonement, that the blood was put on the altar in order to say that the nation of Israel was freed from its sin by the blood of the Lamb. And then when Christ went to the cross, that Lamb of God, John said, was the Lamb of God that takes away what? The sin of the world. And he did that. You know, Consumer Report puts out all these things that you can do to take stains out of stuff. The one thing they don't put in there is the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. That's what they need to put in there. And the tragedy of it is, folks, that in our world today, Christians, theologians, have depreciated the blood of Christ. They want to take out of our hymns and take them out of song because they want everybody to have happy songs. And they want to have an image of someone who's dying on the cross, bleeding. That's terrible. That's disgusting. That's not a happy thought. <laughs> Bless the Lord. It depreciates what Christ has done on the cross. There's a theologian by the name of Dolores Williams. Contemporary theologian. She wants no theory of atonement. That's the anchor of our salvation, folks. That the blood of Christ washes away our sins. That's atonement atones for us. And his blood washes us away, our sin. You see, the church, or some areas of the church anyway, are missing this. I was reading about two trains that collided. One of them was a passenger train and it got stuck on the tracks. And there was coming this freight train. And as the freight train was coming, the man who was the conductor of that other train, the passenger came running out and was wave of a flag. And that conductor was paying attention of that freight train. And as he pulled up, he slowed down because it was a yellow flag. And when he got around the corner, it smashed into the other train. And he jumped out just before it crashed. And it killed several people on that passenger train. And when he was brought into court for a manslaughter, the case was on. And they said, what did you do? He said, well, I saw the yellow flag. And I slowed down. And when I turned around the corner, there was the train. And there was nothing I could do, but I hit the brakes and jumped, saving my life. And I know I killed some people. They said, well, you saw the flag. He said, yes, I saw a yellow flag. Yellow flag. The prosecutor said, bring out exhibit A. Hoping that the flag would prove. And when the flag came out, 
It was a flag that had been stained by water and the sun had gotten on the flag and it bleached it. And so that flag was never, wasn't red anymore, but it was yellow. And that's why he only slowed down. And folks, that's what's going on for people today. The church is sending a message, not a red flag. They're sending a yellow flag. That's okay. Just slow down in your life. Not that Jesus died for you and loved you so much. He spilled his own precious blood for you and died for you and saved you from your sin. But you need to give your life to him now. Just be a good person. Do good works. Be a nice person. That's not the gospel. It's become deluded and lost. It's lost its awe. So that they could have faith and hope in God and be saved eternally. And that's why then Peter says, and he really steps it up because he knows in these times of crisis we need each other very strongly. And he says in this passage that when the word of God enters into our heart and the love of God that we see that God has given by paying his precious blood on the cross for us and that he loved us and died us, we will go to the nth degree for our loved ones. Since you have been obedient to the truth, purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervent love one another from the heart. You have been born again, not a seed that is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living God, enduring word of God. All flesh is like the grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word of God, which was preached to you. And here Peter is saying, our love for one another needs to be so fervent. Because that love that we know about, that love that is in God's word, that we're to purify ourselves in that truth and love people with a, a love that we cannot know, that the world does not know, that God knows because he gave his best for us. And we need our best for each other. That we give ourselves fervently, without hypocrisy, with no mask on, being genuine and going the distance. You know, I have a brother and sister who basically I, I love. And, and, and they're the greatest people that I've ever known. And they stick by me. They have had my back. Even though this pity poor preacher has been all over the place. They've had my back wherever I've been called. And whatever I do. You know, we have a love from that wound of our mothers that has just been tremendous. And they would do anything for me and I would do anything for them. Because they are such godly people. And not only are we brothers and sisters in this life, but we're going to be brothers and sisters in heaven. And be able to enjoy the times again with my mother and father and experience the joy of our grandkids and our families getting together. And it's a real connection of incredible power. 
And Peter is saying that. He says, as your heart gets changed and the Holy Spirit works with his word into your heart, there should be such a love in your heart that it's a godly love. It's a holy love. It's a pure love that desires the best for all who you know in Jesus Christ because you will share eternity with them. And you love them with a, a love that the world does not know. It's an imperishable love. It's a love that cares genuinely for people. Because this life is going to pass. And all the things of this life are going to pass away. But the real love of God will last forever. And we'll carry that into eternity. And what happens in this earth was only a blip, folks. <laughs> I had a guy the other day say to me, you know, Dave, what's going to happen to our country now? I said, we're going to continue on. And then I thought about it. I was born when Eisenhower became president. And I've seen 22 presidents. And guess what? God's still in control. And all this other stuff that's going to go on, and it'll come and go. And we'll get another president. And we'll continue on. But you know what? God's way stays forever. It's not going to fade away. And when we love, God will show us. When we take the word and allow God's Holy Spirit to work on us, our love will get sharper and purer and forgiving more. And forgiving those hurts in our past. That's what he does. And we refuse to retaliate. And he frees us. And there are even times I've had God put people in my life that are very unlovable. <laughs> because he wants me to learn how to even love more. And sometimes you know that's hard. There's some people that sometimes you come up and you say, really, are they lovable? Yeah, they are. If we do it God's way. If we do it in his way. And we do it in God. Not in ourselves. If you love a person in your own power. There are times when you get hurt. That you want to just rip their faces off. But when you love them in Christ. You feel pity for them. You pray for them. Your attitude changes towards them. And even when they're hurtful and they mean to be hurtful to you, you still can love them and care for them. And I've learned sometimes to say, I'm praying for you. Oh, that really likes to charge. But I've learned that that's the way to really love. Because in the final end, all, all this other stuff is going to burn away and it's all going to be gone. And that's what Peter says. It's all going to be like grass and the flower and it's going to be disappear. But what would you do with the Lord? And the way you love people in the Lord will last forever. That's what endures. Because you're doing it from God's word and trusting him. I met a missionary, came to my church my first year. 
And I was kidding. I had spoken in my, my sermon about a situation that happened to me the day before. A guy who was a police officer who had gotten released from the police department, I learned later because of alcoholism, moved into my neighbor's house next door. And um, he had two little boys. And he was not from our police department, but he was from another police department down the way. And he comes up to me while I'm cutting my grass and says, hey, could you do me a favor? I need some money because my kids are twins, you know, and they're coming over for their birthday and I have no money for them for a birthday present. Would you mind giving me uh, some money? I went into my house and got my wallet and I had 30 bucks and I gave him the 30 bucks. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go off and buy him something now. Well, I finished up my lawn and I got cleaned up and I was about ready to go out for lunch with about an hour and a half later. He's coming up the street with a brown bag and a bottle in it. And I went off the deep end. Preacher Dave wasn't walking in the spirit when he saw that. And I shared that from the pulpit. And that missionary who was visiting, <laughs> he came up to me afterwards and he said, Dave, he had been in the ministry for, I think he was in Greece as a missionary for 50 years. He said, Dave, ministry can be like that. And you give your best. You give it for Jesus. And what they do with it, that's on them. He says, but you give it out of your heart for Jesus. And God will reward you. He said, I learned an equation about 30 years ago that has helped me. He said, I want you to remember this. He said, all of this life will pass. But only what's done for Christ will last. That gave me such relief. That even in times when I give people money and I know they're maybe not going to use it for the right things. That I know I give them because I love them in the Lord. And pray that that will bridge to them someday to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for your love. It just gives us such a thrill to know how much you valued us to die on the cross with your precious blood. I pray if there's anybody here who does not know that love of God, that today they can say, yes, Jesus. I want that love. I want to have my sins washed away by that blood. And I want to be made your child. And I want to live for you. Lord, we praise you for that kind of love. That gives us the courage to be true friends. That gives us the courage to be holy when there's a lot of unholy around us. That gives us the ability to say no. Because you paid so much for us. God, thank you for your value that you give us. You are everything to us. We praise you for that. 
And it's through your precious son, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Let's stand for our benediction and our closing soul. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.